This is EP360, your connection to the Electric Power Conference. I'm David Wagman, Content Director for Electric Power and your host for this podcast. Episodes offer interviews with industry leaders, showcases of products and services exhibited at Electric Power, as well as the latest updates on the annual Electric Power Conference, which takes place April 21st to the 23rd in Chicago. Thanks for joining us. Here's today's podcast. My guest today is Rod West, Executive Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer for Entergy Corporation. In 2005, when Hurricane Katrina struck New Orleans and flooded 80% of the city, West was serving as manager of the New Orleans region. After the storm, he and his team managed a $250 million reconstruction of the nearly destroyed New Orleans electrical infrastructure. Later, as president and CEO of Entergy New Orleans, he oversaw the replacement of around 860 miles of underground natural gas pipe damaged by the storm. This past April, he delivered keynote remarks at the Electric Power Conference in New Orleans and spoke about the challenges facing utilities in an era of more extreme and frequent weather events. Rod West joined me by telephone. Here's our conversation. Rod West, thank you for joining me today. Oh, no problem. Pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. Entergy has laid out an argument that looks at extreme weather events not in terms of climate change, a term that often comes with emotional and political baggage, but in terms of risk mitigation and prudency. What led Entergy to that point of view, and how do ideas like risk mitigation and utility prudency support that perspective? It's interesting. You know, from Entergy's standpoint, we didn't believe we actually had a, a choice since 2005 alone. Our experience uh, had been Katrina, uh, Rita, Hurricanes, Gustav, Ike, Isaac, all of the named storms that, that people hear about on the Weather Channel. Uh, we've experienced them. And from our vantage point, the, the odds of extreme weather events are increasing. Uh, one of the things that I made note of it that in the last, uh, say, 30 years alone, in the 80s, uh, the average was one extreme weather event exceeding a billion dollars in losses annually in the, in the U.S., one, one per year. In the 90s, that increased to two events per year and five events per year in the, in the previous decade of, of 2000, 2010. And right now we're averaging about 11 events per year with 14 in 2011 alone. Again, these are, are extreme events that exceed a billion dollars in losses. And so from our vantage point, regardless of the cause, whether whether it be weather or something else, our, our point of view was we had to take action. And so, you know, we've been at the forefront of climate change debate, greenhouse gas emissions, and especially this notion of including uh, the economic and societal price of all these storms. So uh, for us, um, this is right in our wheelhouse, and it's experiential in that uh, we've had enough events uh, to give us a sense uh, of urgency uh, without really spending a whole lot of time debating what the true cause was. We recognize it as risk. And so uh, what's the prudent uh, response for us? Make it fact-based. Uh, do everything we can to shift the focus uh, of the conversation away 
from an all-or-nothing proposition on climate change, which, as you referenced, many people view it as an academic debate that's framed in, in political rhetoric. And so you know, we endeavor to make it a fact-based, a risk-based sense of urgency that, that doesn't necessarily depend on whether you accept the tenets of climate change. We all understand risk and risk mitigation. Let's start there. I wonder if you could uh, talk a bit about Entergy's specific efforts to mitigate risk through its infrastructure uh, in this era of extreme weather events. Well, the, it's, the, the easy answer is, of course, we invest in focus hardening of our transmission and, and distribution systems to, to stand up to extreme weather. Uh, for us, that means building transmission structures along the coast that, that can withstand up to 150-mile-an-hour winds, extended wind zones further inland uh, than the NESC code requires, for instance. For example, you know, rebuilding the transmission line serving uh, Port Fouchon, which is uh, uh, South Louisiana, which provides supplies and, uh, and equipment to about 90% of the deep offshore oil wells, and, and, and making sure that the infrastructure can withstand winds up to 150 mile per hour winds. Well, you know, that's fine for us, uh, you know, to to improve our equipment. Uh, but it's also important for us to make sure that it's not just us, but our our customers uh, do so as well. And so we want to lead by example. We elevate, for instance, control equipment and key substations above the 100-year floodplain that we're normally being asked to, to do in our, what we call our Leeville substation. And, you know, and, and it's, there's proof that it actually works, uh, that that investment. And, and again, none of this is without cost. Um, but it, but it works. After Hurricane Isaac, uh, we were replacing insulators on a transmission tower uh, instead of the actual structure itself uh, because the structure held up. And uh, after Isaac, we had 90% of our customers restored within five days, uh, which was a company best compared to, say, 17 for Katrina. Why? Because the infrastructure, particularly the transmission infrastructure that, that fed into our load pockets, actually held up. Uh, better along the coast. So uh, the the additional incremental investments we've made along the coast have already begun paying uh, paying dividends. Again, it's not without cost. Uh, it's not without uh, financial risk. But if if the customers, if the regulators, and and the company all agree on a long term risk mitigation uh, plan of action, then everybody contributes, and it's not just a utility problem. It's a it's a community problem, and so for us. Us, of course, it's a business continuity conversation for our infrastructure. But again, we don't exist for our own benefit. We serve uh, customers and, and our customers, whether they be industrial, governmental, commercial, uh, and residential, uh, they all benefit as well. And so we all have a role to play. Mm -hmm. You've described the Gulf Coast as being something of an energy coast uh, spanning from Texas to the Florida panhandle. Uh, I think you said that there's around $2 trillion in assets that lie within 70 miles of the coast, um, and uh, you gave an expectation that that value could increase to around $3 trillion by 2030. Um, investments that Entergy may make are one dimension, and while the company may succeed in generating and making electricity available during an 
extreme weather event. Uh, that success could be tempered somewhat if end users have not taken their own steps to mitigate risk. How is Entergy working with these other stakeholders to, uh, to better mitigate against risk all across the energy delivery system? You know, uh, I think I think you've just you've just hit on what I think has has really been uh, the the next phase of, of evolution in risk management. It's not just about us hardening our own infrastructure. You know, in, in different communities, the the, uh, the the questions that's posed to utility companies: Well, why don't you just harden your system or or put all of your lines underground as if that was the panacea? No one entity can shield themselves from all this risk. Uh, we believe, uh, but you know, by working together, we can truly make the region more resilient and the communities more sustainable. And that's why it's important that, that we reach out to the communities we serve. You know, find out where they're vulnerable, uh, whether it's the oil industry, whether it's the petrochemical industry, or any other sector uh, that we that we serve. And, and what they've done to become more resilient, uh, you know, help and, and help us also prioritize our investments to complement what they're doing. And so. So by working with the governments, the communities, and customers, we're we're in a better position to make the incremental investments to get the bigger bang for the buck. Uh, this way, together, we can try to minimize business interruption losses. You know, I made I made I gave an example when I I spoke uh, to the larger group about or- an Orange, Texas petrochemical plant. Um, you know, Rita knocked out the power for that plant uh, for four weeks and and, and rebuilt the line. Uh, we rebuilt the line that would stand 150 mile power winds. And uh, in 2008, the line survived Ike, but flooded the plant. And it took four weeks to get it back into production. Mm-hmm. And the lesson for us there was, it's not enough for us to rebuild our resilient systems and facilities. If if our system's up and running, but the remainder of the customer base that we serve isn't, mm-hmm. what's the purpose? We get to beat our chest and say, well, wait a minute, power is available, but if no one's there to take it, um, we're, we're sort of defeating the purpose. <laughs> Mitigating risk can be an expensive undertaking. How should we go about thinking about the proper allocation of these costs between the public and the private sectors? Well, I, I would be, I would not, it would not be wise for me to speak about proper allocation as though one size fits all. Uh, what I do know is that the allocation conversation will differ by city, region, and circumstance. And certainly, you know, the you know, regulators, whether they be state, federal, or, or local, uh, along with, you know, the relationship of the utility and, and the customers they serve. I think the most important aspect of, of the allocation is that the conversation begins is that it's, from our vantage point, it's important for us to take action. <laughs> because no matter how you think about cost allocation, the one thing I can guarantee, and this is at the core of what I think Entergy's point of view has been, the most expensive thing we can do is nothing. And and we figured out that there's some highly cost-effective investments we can make today that will avoid future economic losses. And that's the point. It's making the investment today to mitigate the risk that we know and or believe is going to get greater and greater. The hard part, and, and it's why we're having this conversation and why you and I are having this conversation today, the hard part is it takes a leap of faith. Spending a dollar today to avoid some future uncertain outcome in a tough economy 
economy. And that's why putting ourselves into this risk management frame of mind actually makes all the sense in the world. Test ourselves against future risk scenarios. It's no different than we would do in any other financial environment. See where we're vulnerable, identify the risks, and what are the things we can cost-effectively do to take some of the risks off the table. And and what I just described was the genesis of that Gulf uh, Coast adaptation study uh, that that we participated in uh, that showed that nearly two-thirds of the cost-effective investments don't require public funding. You know, resilient residential building codes could be funded with the price of the house. Mm-hmm. Investments in hardening oil and gas and electric utility infrastructure could be funded in the price of the product. We identified focused, proactive transmission and distribution hardening investments that, that economists have told us will return better than, than $5 of benefit for every dollar we spend. This comes in the form of avoided economic losses to the community, where you re- you heard me reference a few minutes ago the the uh, the annual events, whether they be natural or otherwise, that created more than one billion in, in losses in, is increasing. If we just focus on, our, on from our vantage point on T and D alone, there's a five to one. Uh, cost uh, benefit to cost to mitigate the risk. And why is this important? Because when our customers do well and the economy does well, we do well. But you asked a question about about what, you know, particularly with the government, what can they do and what must they do? From our vantage point, just here in Louisiana, the state put together a 50-year $50 billion plan to reverse the loss of coastal wetlands, uh, build greater resilience to flooding and, and storm surge, which we know is going to happen regardless of whether you think it's climate change or anything else, preserve the wildlife, and look, it's it's a huge cost, $50 billion over 50 years, but there is good news arising from an environmental disaster. Some of the funding to help pay for the plan will come from Clean Water Act fines related to the to the Deepwater uh, Horizon oil spill, and so it's less of a burden than it might otherwise otherwise be. And and of course, the Louisiana delegation is pushing uh, the federal government for quicker disbursement of the fines. And so there are a few other you know, effective projects identified by that, that, that Gulf Coast Adaptation Study, uh, beach renourishment, wetlands restoration, and improved levee systems, they all require public funding, but you know they, they would likely be highly cost-effective no matter what when you consider the avoided losses and how, how those losses ripple throughout the economy, and not just the Gulf Coast economy when you, you make reference to the energy coast. We're producing 40% of the nation's energy needs uh, from the activity in the in the Gulf uh, Gulf of Mexico, and so this is not a Louisiana or simply a Gulf Coast issue. It's a United States domestic energy issue, and so it, it makes sense for the government to to have a have a role to play. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what, one thing I wanted to ask is is uh, is Entergy's approach to risk mitigation and prudency specific to the company and its particular service territories, or do you think that similar concepts can be adopted across the industry? Well, you made reference to the, the allocation of costs, and I said, well, I don't want to necessarily prescribe uh, a recipe for cost allocation because I think it's different and can be different regionally. Mm-hmm. That That's at the core of the answer to, to the question you just posed. A similar approach can and is, in, is being followed by the utilities, you know, New York, New Jersey, uh, or examples where utilities and other sectors in the government are working together to increase resiliency, um, as if I remember. 
remember correctly, the initial cost of the New York City resiliency plan is about $20 billion to fortify uh, infrastructure like the, the power grid, renovate buildings to withstand uh, hurricanes, and, and defend the city shoreline. Uh, we read that the Rockefeller Foundation sponsored the 100 Resilient Cities Challenge. New Orleans, interestingly enough, is one of the first 33 cities selected. Um, New Orleans and other cities, they'll receive support from the foundation to create and implement a resiliency plan. And the idea being is to, to set a model that could be used in other cities and certainly adapted to to the different uh, the different nuances of the region, whether it be the, the, the New England or the Northeast region, whether the Southeast Gulf Coast is as we're uh, accustomed to, or out West. And and from our vantage point, it doesn't matter which sector, sector of the economy people are in. Everybody understands that creating a resilient community is and should be a natural, national priority. And it is, at the end of the day, about the choice. And that is whether or not to plan and invest in resilient systems and ecosystems. But when you think about it, that choice isn't really a choice at all. It's the Hobbesian's choice. You know, we can't allow our friends and neighbors to go through another Katrina or another Sandy when we know that there are things we can do today, right now, to prevent it. And and it's it's it sounds kind of simple, but you'll never be able to manage a risk that you deny exists or don't see coming. And so our conversation uh, has always been about let's be honest about the risk we're 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 facing uh, as a region, as a community, as a nation, and and even in the climate change conversation as as a world. And it doesn't matter to us whether or not you agree with climate change because. Let's take the climate change debate off the table and let's have the conversation around risk. And I believe and we believe that we can get to the, to the right answer uh, to, to if, if we're managing risk as opposed to arguing about whether or not uh, you know, climate change is, is real or the components of it are, are real or not. Let's focus on risk. Let's mitigate the risk. And let's try and avoid some of the losses that we think are only going to get great over time. Well, Rod West, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thanks very much for for taking time. I'm so happy that uh, you guys called and uh, look forward to working with you guys in the future. My best to all. Very good. Thanks very much. Take care. That's our program for today. The EP360 podcast is produced by Access Intelligence, which also holds the copyright. For more information on the Electric Power Conference, visit electricpowerexpo.com. I'm David Wagman, and for all of us at the Electric Power Conference, thank you for listening. <laughs>